you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I've entitled the message, The Last Charge. The Last Charge. It doesn't mean that we're going to take a hill. <laughs> it means that we are going to receive a commission today before we leave. I've been in the, a series of um, prepare for increase, and we've been looking at prayer and previously, and now we're kind of in a uh, uh, section of um, evangelism. And so just kind of wrapping up evangelism today, we talked about um, uh, are you a good news person? Do you bring good news to the situation? Do you, when we share our faith, there's both a natural element as well as a supernatural element. And then um, last uh, couple of weeks, uh, I had a message on heaven and last week on hell. So if you missed those and you're interested in the things I shared right from the Word of God, you can jump on YouTube and check it out for you and be encouraged uh, by both. You're like, wow, listen to Message on Hell, be encouraged. Well, check it out, see what you think. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I wanted to just uh, give you a, a little bit about Timothy and who he was. This is the last book that was written by the Apostle Paul before he departed from this earth. So this is the last written correspondence that was given to Timothy for us to read today. Last thing he wrote, and then he departed from this earth. When he met Timothy... Timothy was probably in, in Lystria, one of his, one of his uh, journeys. Timothy was probably around 16 years old when he first met him and then called him on his journey. Uh, most would agree when he was around 21, he was commissioned to ministry. He was ordained into ministry at 21 years of age. When he is receiving this letter, this charge from Paul, he's about 30-some years old, maybe 30, 33 years old. So that's, that's the age of Timothy. And after he received this letter from Paul, he didn't pass from this earth till about 80. That's what church tradition tells us, that he was 80 years old when he died. He actually died a martyr. He was a, a bishop in the area of Ephesus and giving oversight to churches. And the, uh, the pagans were having a festival. They were declaring their false god, their, their demonic gods. And Timothy stood up against it. He stood up against the parade and festivals and he said, this is false, this is demonic, there's the one true God. And as a result of that, again, church history tells us he was clubbed to death. So not, a, not necessarily a pleasant way to go, but the, the, the testimony that he gave was really true to the charge that the Apostle Paul gave him in this last letter sent to him. So we can take courage to say that Timothy finished well. And uh, that's a great testimony to have uh, according to church tradition. Well, let's kind of jump in and, and, and look at this uh, charge that Paul gave. We're in the last chapter as well. So the last book, the last chapter. And I want to read to you five verses here. And then we'll use these verses as kind of the outline of the message today. 2 Timothy 4, starting at verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead, in full view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, 
discharge the duties of your ministry. That's the charge, or part of the charge that Paul gives Timothy and the Holy Spirit gives us today. Let's jump in. Here, first thing I want to note there in verse 1 is to keep centered in a future focus, but with a present reality. Keep centered in a future focus, but with a present reality. What does that mean? Oftentimes as we go through Christian life, the pendulum will swing one way or the other. We'll focus on presently where we're at and what God is doing, or we get focused on the future and say, Jesus, come and rescue us. We're ready to leave. And sometimes, even through church history, there's been this pendulum that has focused, uh, that has shifted one way or the other. And the Apostle Paul says, Timothy, do both. Keep focused on the fact that Jesus will return, whether it's in our generation or the next or the next. Who knows? The Father has that in mind. Jesus doesn't even know at this point. But he also says, pay attention to present reality. What are the things that, that, that we should pay attention to in our present reality? Is the fact that God is with us. I was listening to a testimony of a lady named Mary Neal. She's a surgeon. She's a mother of four. She's, she's a wife. And uh, she talked about the time that she was dead for 30 minutes, earth time, not heaven time, and what happened to her. She said previous to her experience, and she was under a waterfalls that uh, apparently there was an accident, and, and uh, she, was, she was, I mean, she was, she was legally dead. She actually said her soul floated out, and she watched them pull her blue body out of the water and begin CPR. She watched that whole thing take place. But, but she goes on to say that, that prior to this experience that she went through life and Jesus was just one of the things that got checked off her box. She had a lot of things to do. Wife, mother, surgeon, giving oversight to, to people in a, in a hospital, a surgical floor. I mean, she had a lot of things going on, but she said, honestly, I was a moral person and, and I believed in Jesus and given my life to him, but he was just on the checklist. And if I got to him or not, so what? But she said after that experience, what happened is when she was in heaven, the Lord took her through all the experiences that she had had up to that point in her life. And he began to show her of things that she had considered horrible and, and difficult and challenging. The Lord began to show her how he was involved in turning every one of those situations around for good so while she was in heaven, God was giving her perspective of her whole life history up until that point and showing how he was involved in each one of those things that she had encountered that were challenging and difficult and frustrating. He said, I was there and I was involved. And so she came out of that experience. In fact, she said that uh, they said, it's time for you to go back to earth. Your job is not finished there. She said, I'm okay here. <laughs> which is oftentimes the testimony of most people that go there and then come back. She said, the one big thing that changed for me is this. She said, my, I used to believe in the hope of his promise. But she said, now I trust fully. It's no longer the hope of his promise anymore. I fully trust that he will work all things out for good. That he is with me. That he's not left me. I've settled that. That's clear. It's like there's nothing that can come in this earth anymore that can, can depress me or can, or, can, or can discourage me or can frustrate me because I've settled the fact 
that God is with me. He'll never leave. I fully trust now. Wow, what a testimony. I would like to think that we don't have to die and come back to get to that place. <laughs> but what, what an amazing word. You know, we sang this morning that I don't need to trust you. To, I don't need to understand to trust you. We sang that this morning. Part of, of, of coming to the place of saying, God, I don't understand this, but I still trust you. In other words, Mary now holds that God is going to come again, but she also has a present reality with her that God is with her, and she trusts that. A couple things with this first point is that God is now with us by the Holy Spirit. Paul told Timothy earlier in chapter 1, he said, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. You don't need to cower. You don't need to, to, you know, back off. You need to recognize that the Holy Spirit is empowering you. He's with you. God is with you. The second note I have there is that God will judge everyone. We pointed that out in, in the last, uh, last message that I shared. God will join, uh, judge everyone. He, you and I will be judged equally as well. We're going to be judged for the fact of what did we do with Jesus. We're going to be judged for the fact of, of the gifts and calling that he put on our lives. Are we faithful with it? See, it's not just getting saved. It's also the recognition that God has put a gift and talent or skill and ability within you. And are you stewarding that well? We're going to be judged by that. Now, we shouldn't be uh, scared of judgment. I look at a judgment like a test. Are you prepared for the test that you take in life or maybe in school? Now, if you knew how the professor was going to test, you could prepare well and you could get an A. You could ace it. I was in systematic theology. I had this professor and we only had three opportunities to make our grade. The midterm, the final, and a paper. And that was it. I mean, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. I messed up any with you. That's the third, third, third. I messed any of this. I'm doomed. And he said, oh, don't worry about the test. The test is going to be easy. Don't worry about it. So I didn't worry about it. Oh, my gracious. I got into that thing. All of them were trick questions. I was like furious at the professor because I didn't know how he was going to test. He said, don't worry about it. So I didn't. I got a C. I was like, never again. Fool me once, not twice. I knew how he tested. And so I studied the way he tested and got the highest grade in the class. See, we got, we, if we know how Jesus, what Jesus expects and how he, we shouldn't fear judgment because we know we're going to pass the test. And he's the one that provides the way through. And if we walk in it, then we'll be blessed in this life and we'll pass the test and no problem. But we're all going to be judged in that process. Another thing that I mentioned there, his kingdom will be fully established. His kingdom will fully come. 1 Timothy 6, 13 through 15. In the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time, God the blessed, the holy ruler, the king of kings, and lord of lords. The kingdom of God is advancing today. It, it always is advancing. Church may ebb and flow, but the kingdom of God is always advancing. And we have to remember that, that, uh, that as, as, we, as we go through this life, the kingdom of God is being established in a greater presence here on this earth. Number two, that is convey the word of God with encouragement. The next uh, verse that Paul encourages Timothy with is preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage, 
with great patience and careful instruction. You see, when you bring the truth to somebody, sometimes it's very difficult. It's confrontive. People are not interested necessarily in hearing it. But what happens, I find that when I need to bring some real hard truth to people, I need to also give them time to process it. And I get, also need to give them the opportunity to make the decision. To hear God and make their own decision. Not what decision I would want for them, but they need to hear God and make their own decision. And when I've understood that, I haven't always understood that, but when I, when I understand that, I'm free. Amen. I'm free if they walk away. I'm free if they come in. I'm free if they make the decision that, based on the truth. I'm free if they continue to live uh, their life based on a lie. I'm free. I may, I may not, you know, uh, want to pray for them still to change and everything, but, but it, it's not my deal. But it is my deal to live the truth and to share the truth Amen. as a way I understand it according to God's word and guided by his Holy Spirit. And so Paul is telling Timothy, preach the word and be prepared in season and out of season. Sometimes we think the truth is out of season. It's like the environment that we live in today. It's like who's interested in truth? It's like maybe it's out of season. Maybe, maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's a fad that went away in, uh, you know, 2019 or something. We're just not in the truth season right now. <laughs> really? Paul said, no. He says the truth is always in season. It's not a style. It's not a fad. It's always in season. And so you and I have to recognize that about when we get into uh, the own. So how do we... How do we um, where do we get our truth from? Well, we get it from different means. We get it like in a setting like this. We get it when we do our own study or Bible reading. We get it when we listen to podcasts or maybe YouTube of a, of a favorite uh, preacher or, uh, you know, people that we like. We get it from reading books. We get it from discussions in small groups. God gives us the ability to, to receive truth from many different ways, but it's still his truth. And we just receive it in different settings that we, that we uh, are in. I think it's important for us to, to uh, recognize that, uh, when we, that when we, we bring the truth, that there's certain associations we have in truth. Like, for instance, I've purposed to always bring this Bible with me into the pulpit when I preach. I could much easily put the scripture on iPad and I, you know, put my sermons on iPad, but there's difference between reading out of this book and reading from this, even though it's just the same. There's a different sense of authority. There's a sense of, of the realm of, of reading out. And so I purpose to do that because I want everybody that comes into Crossroads to know this book's important for me, right. even though I need, need to use glasses to read it right now, but it's important to me. Therefore, I always bring it in with me. And, 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 you know, read something from it because it's valuable. That's a part of me communicating the truth in every, every setting that I'm in. Romans 10, 14, and 15 records, How then can they call on the one they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. In this uh, setting to the church of Romans, Paul said that we need to all share good news with those that God has given us. Truth is always in season. I mentioned that. Let me give you a verse connected with that. 2 Timothy 3, 9 through 11. But they will not get 
they will not get very far because in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystria, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. That's a lot of things that Paul encountered. It wasn't always easy for him. But he said that in those challenging times, the persecutions, the sufferings, the Lord rescued me from them all. What a testimony. And now he has encouraged Timothy in the same way, and we need that same kind of encouragement. The truth confronts and affirms. It conveys it with freedom. Um. In 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 16, Paul writes, Do your best to present yourself to God as one who has improved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. The part I want to bring out is that the word of God needs to be correctly handled. Therefore, it means that sometimes it can be incorrectly handled. But uh, Paul is telling Timothy, he says, I want you to correctly handle the word of truth. For instance, in Matthew 7, it starts out, it says, don't judge lest you be judged. And lots of times people use that verse to say, don't judge me. Well, if that's what Jesus was saying, then he violated his own word all the time because he called people into account. He called people to, to step up and to not, to not do certain things and do other things. And so that was going on with, Paul, with Jesus all the time. That, so he would, if he says we can't judge one another, then he's violating his own rule. Well, so what does he mean? Well, the second verse really answers that. Correctly handle the word of truth. He says that, that the way that you judge, be prepared to receive that same judgment for you. And meaning, if you judge out of a hypocritical mindset of saying, you do that, but I'm not going to, then basically be prepared to receive that back. If you, if you, if you, if you judge with, a, a, again, a, a way of saying, well, I can't judge, you can't judge, then, again, uh, we get into a, a situation where we're not able to fulfill the truth of the Word of God because we have bound ourselves to not be able to judge what's right or discern what's right. And we have to realize that uh, the, the Word of God needs to be handled correctly. And it can be handled incorrectly. So we have to do our due diligence in seeking. What does it mean? If something doesn't make sense, we have to dig deeper into what makes sense. And, and, uh, and pray and use other passages and grab hold of the, of the Holy Spirit in order to allow us to, um, under, to be able to share the truth in a, in a correct way. I find people that are open to hearing the truth if you allow them time to process it. Let it sink in. And sometimes you, um, you know, you have to walk away and let it simmer for a while. But truth is truth. And we shouldn't shy away from being people of the truth. Number three, not everyone interested is interested in truth. Does that surprise you? It shouldn't surprise you after the two years of what we've gone through. 
I mean, with the election and then with COVID and, and, and all the political things that are going on and all the exposures that are coming out and corporations and, and government and education and the medicine, all of these things that are coming out and going, wait a minute, you said this, but this, it was really that and this. And I mean, but not everybody was interested in, in the truth. We, we found that out. So that shouldn't necessarily alarm us that people aren't. Okay, I, I went to the Urban Dictionary. I, I wouldn't call that a dictionary, but they claim it is. What is the Urban Dictionary? I really didn't know until I asked Nick about a year ago. What's the Urban Dictionary? So he filled me in. That's what happens when you, know, you have another generation on staff. That's a good thing. And basically, it's the modern definitions of things that we think are, are like, well, that's settled. But the Urban Dictionary kind of changes it. So here it is. My truth. They defined my truth as... A um, let me let me make sure I get this right. My truth is a non-negotiable personal opinion. <laughs> a non-negotiable personal opinion. So what they've done is because you can argue with an opinion, but the moment you call it truth, suddenly they say you can't touch this. It's non-negotiable. And that's what we're dealing with today in society. A non-negotiable opinion, but they're calling it truth. And because they use the word truth, then we think that we can't enter into it. And it becomes their truth. It's a challenge today. But yet, it's possible. You would think that everybody would desire truth, but they don't. That's what, uh, that's what, Paul writes here to Timothy. One day I got the opportunity to tour uh, the Capitol in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania recently. It was a special tour by uh, more the spiritual significance of, of that Capitol and, and things. And uh, we had a uh, representative from the house come and meet the group. There's about 12 of us. And this lady drove two hours to meet us for 15 minutes. I was like, who does that? Anyhow, side note. But... Um, so we got to know her story. She was a housewife, pastor's wife in uh, middle Pennsylvania. And she, uh, God says, I want you to run for office. So she did. She ran and lost. She said, okay, God, I'm glad that's done. She said, no, I want you to run again. So I ran the second time she won. And the way that they set up the house before they start each session, they have a prayer. That's just kind of what they do. They bring in area pastors to pray before the opening session starts. And, uh, and so they kind of school the pastors on what to say, what not to say. But they, don't, they didn't tell the legislators the same rules. <laughs> so they ran out of pastors, and they're near the end of the session. And uh, so it came time, anybody, the legislators want to pray? She says, I do. I want to pray. So we're going to listen to her prayer. See what you think about it, and I'll tell you what happened after she prayed. A minute and a half prayer. Let's listen to Stephanie pray. Thank you, Speaker. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this privilege, Lord, of letting me pray, God, that I, Jesus, am your ambassador here today, standing here representing you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, the one who's coming back again, the one who came, died, and rose again on the third day, and I'm so privileged to stand here today. So thank you for this honor, Jesus. God, for those that came before us, like George Washington and Valley Forge and Abraham Lincoln, who sought after you in Gettysburg, Jesus, and the Founding Fathers in Independence Hall, Jesus, that sought after you and fasted and prayed for this nation to be founded on your principles and your words and your truths. God, forgive us. Jesus, we've lost sight of you. We've forgotten you, God. 
in our country. And we're asking you to forgive us, Jesus, that your promise and your word says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their wicked ways, that you'll heal our land. Jesus, you are our only hope. God, I pray for our leader, Speaker Terzai, Leader Cutler, Governor Wolf, President Trump. Lord, thank you that he stands beside Israel unequivocally, Lord. Thank you that Jesus, that we're blessed because we stand by Israel and we ask for the peace of Jerusalem as your word says, God. We ask that we not be overcome by evil and that we overcome evil with good in this land once again. I claim all these things in the powerful, mighty name of Jesus, the one who, at, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus, that you are Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. So, that was full of truth, wasn't it? Before she left the stage, she had death threats on her life. Had state police on top of the church building to guard. Nobody would come in, kill her. People are not interested in the truth. But what that prayer did, it awakened. It awakened people. It awakened the legislators. There's a tide that's turning in Pennsylvania. Because one person, she honestly, she said, I didn't, I mean, take this in the right way. She said, I really didn't know what I was doing. I was just talking to my friend in front of the legislative body. I was just talking to my friend. Wow. What courage. Amen? Yeah. So people are not interested in, in, in truth. In fact, some label truth as divisive, bigotry, and shameful. That's the environment that we live in today. 2 Timothy 2, 16 through 19. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them, like Hymenaeus and, and Philetus, who departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. They destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Just as Johannes and, and Jambres oppose Moses, so also those who teach oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as faith concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as the case of this man, their folly will be seen by, will be clear to everyone. See, the truth is the truth. It's not our truth. It's God's truth. And we've made it personal with us. But it's really God's truth. Correctly handled, may start out confrontive, but also instructive and patient with love and let people decide. But we need to have the willingness to stand. Number four, let us keep Jesus central, endure through tough times, and share the good news. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. But you, keep your head in the game, my translation. You ever been a coach or had a coach that said that to you? Keep your head in the game. Get a brain. You know, let's, let's get in this. Paul says to Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. And 
many of you are going through hardship in your jobs, situations. Do the work of an evangelist. In other words, be a good news person. That's what it means. Be a good news person. Discharge the duties of your ministry. A couple of things there. Just because truth is unpopular doesn't mean it's irrelevant. Just because truth is unpopular doesn't mean it's irrelevant. 2 Timothy 2, 23-26 don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him must be... Uh, must, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct and hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. That they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I don't know if you know it or not, but I believe that our, our nation and the world, matter of fact, is in a massive crash. There's a pileup that's going on and the rubble is just getting bigger. And I believe that it's going to continue to, to get bigger and, and, and greater until we come to the place to say, nobody can fix this but Jesus. And I don't mean that to be a trite, uh, a, a trite statement. I believe that to be the truth. The things are going to continue to pile up because at this point, our secular systems are still trying to solve it. Even the next election, people were saying it's going to be solved. It won't solve it. It, it may, 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 you know, back things up a little bit or may, maybe it'll have a little bleep, but it won't solve it. Not another election won't solve it. But it's going to continue to pile up into the place that we say, we need Jesus. One and I got the opportunity to hear Johnny Enlow recently, and I don't know if you know that name. If you don't, that's fine. He's, he's been uh, around the world teaching people about how to live Jesus in the marketplace. I, I'll just share it that way. So he was in the nation of Colombia. I don't know when this took place, but in his history, he's been a pastor. He grew up as a missionary in South America. He was in the, the nation of Colombia, and uh, he was invited by the governor there. He had 200 people in the room, and they were all government workers. And he was invited in as a social reformer. How do you like that? That was the title. He is the social reformer. So he came in, but he didn't shy away from using biblical examples where appropriate or using Jesus. It, he was just who he was. And he, he walked down through the, of, of what he was, the governor invited him in to share. And as he was in that, uh, that situation, he began to ask this group that was there. He said, now, I want to ask you a question. Uh, did you get in to the place that you're serving right now, whether elected in or appointed in, did you get in believing, I can't wait to receive bribes and give bribes and be as crooked as possible in order to be a success in my job? Is that, is that, is that what you were thinking when you got into this position? They're all looking at him like, what, are you crazy? He said, did you... Did you uh, honestly, when you came into your position, did you honestly have some kind of sense that if you got here, you could make a difference? That's what you came in to your position. Again, appointed or elected, you came in believing, I can make a difference here. Nobody else has, but I think I can. In fact, he said, if, if that was your belief before you got in, why don't you just stand up? He said he was shocked immediately. All 200 people stood up. That's what they believed before getting in. 
And he said, as I go around the world and I meet with government leaders, he said, there's one word that I hear that's constant around the world in every government situation. It's the word impossible. It's impossible. We don't have enough money. The corruption's too deep. We don't have enough unity. What we want to do, get our country out of a mess. It's impossible. He said, what if I would introduce you to a God that says what you think is impossible can be turned around to being possible? What if I told you there's a God that could take that? You say it's impossible, but he could turn it around and say it's possible with my help. In fact, if you would like to, to believe that, if you would like to do that, why don't you stand up right now? And all 200 stood up again. What do you do with that? He said he was shocked. So God gave him a couple words of knowledge and healing started happening. And, and all of a sudden that, <laughs> that social reform meeting turned into a Pentecostal church service. Wow. So what do we gain from all that? The, in the church world, only 3% of, of in the church are ever going to be on staff. Only 3% of the church body will ever be on staff. I did the numbers here at Crossroads, and we're just a little over 1%. 1% of our church body is on staff. So, is the 1% or the 3% going to change the world? No. God's called us to pray and teach the word and administrate and organize. So how is the world going to hear from coming into a meeting like this? No. There may be a few. But the world is going to hear through you. The world's going to hear through you. Wherever you're at, whatever job that you have right now, people need to know Jesus is real. He will return again, but he's real right now. How does that happen? It happens through you. You're the kingdom force. You're the workforce. God has called you. Whoever, wherever you're at, whatever job you're in, whatever family you're connected with, whatever friends you're connected with, God has called you to make the difference in the world. Paul was speaking to Timothy, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to us. So what I'd like to do is this. We'll have time of personal ministry if you need to commit your heart to Jesus this morning. You've been putting them off. There'll be some people here to pray with you. But how I'd like to end here today, and I don't know if I've gotten through my notes or not, but that's just the way it is. We're going we're gonna to end here. But I would like to either commission or recommission you to the workplace to be a light for Jesus. It's not the pastor's responsibility, the church staff responsibility. It's the body of Christ. In fact, I'm kind of switching up terminology. I would rather prefer 
that we are becoming the body of Christ than becoming more church. Because church can be so misunderstood, rules and regulations and religious things going on, but the body of Christ conveys to me something different. It conveys to me someone living, someone attached, someone that's being empowered. I want to commission you again or recommission you to be the body of Christ where you're at this morning. So if you would like that, I'm going to just read this scripture over your life. If you would like that, there's no obligation. There's no uh, expectation. If you would like to be just recommissioned to be a light for Jesus in your workplace today, I want you to stand up. And I'm going to read this over you. And I want you to make it personal. Receive it as a commissioning today. And then we're going to have ministry here as well. So whatever posture you want to get in, whether you want to hold out your hands or close your eyes or, or whether you want to open your eyes or whether you want to raise your hands or just, you're getting commissioned again by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus, by God the Father. I say this over you. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Be a good news person. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this recommissioning of the body of Christ here at Crossroads this morning, God. And those listening online, those participating online, we bless you equally with this charge. And we thank you, Father, that you have called us to be difference makers. You've called us to be good news people. You've called us when we're at a place, either the workplace or with friends or family, when the word impossible is floating around and taking root, that we declare by faith in Jesus, it is possible when he becomes Lord and is invited in God. I pray for that kind of courage, that kind of faith, that kind of confidence, that kind of power to raise up within us, Lord, as we go forth today. Thank you, God, for commissioning us to be ambassadors for you. What a great privilege it is to be ambassadors for the King of kings and Lord of lords until you return again. God, we love you today, Lord. We do this not out of... Out of control or out of compulsion Lord we do this because we love you and we know that we've been called and set apart for your purposes so Father I bless those standing today God may they receive a new empowering to be salt and light in the workplace in the world for Jesus sake Amen Amen